All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast, and uh, here we go, another pod from the road. I am taping this. It is uh, it's it's in the afternoon. It's some it's Sunday, December eighteenth. Uh, I was in Indianapolis yesterday. I called UConn at Butler. By the way, UConn is for real. That is, without question, a top-five team in the country right now. I was very impressed watching them on film and seeing them up close and in person. Wow. Coach Hurley's got a squad there uh, in in Connecticut. Uh, but at, at, today on Sunday, I drove to Cincinnati. I got Seton Hall and Xavier in a couple of days. So I'm in my hotel. Uh, been writing up this pod. I got some uh, Creighton basketball stuff at the end. Uh, I want to get to, but I want to start with with some Husker football, and I I can't even believe what I'm about to lay out. I mean, I feel silly and almost irresponsible with this I five. I have a five page take on something that just feels like what am I even doing? <laughs> I'm not even sure what what I'm doing right now. But what the hell, right? Here we go. So, listen, I was baffled by the news. Uh, about 10 days ago, a week ago, a little over that, when Matt Rule announced and decided that he was keeping Donovan Riola on staff as the offensive line coach. Truly puzzled. Could hardly believe it. Rule and Riola had no connection to each other. Whether it was Riola's fault or not, the offensive line was a disaster this past season for Nebraska. Rayola's inexperienced. He's not known as an elite recruiter. I was just like truly shocked. And to be honest, there's still a part of me that that still is. But it's funny. I wrote when when uh, when the news hit. So I always, if you would see my iPhone, I'm just like I'm always going into my notes. I'm just writing pod ideas and thoughts just to make sure I, my memory is so bad that if I don't write something down right away, like I'm going to forget. Uh, but I, I wrote down when I, when I saw that Rayola was, was being retained, I just, I wrote down, what is the compelling prevailing reason to keep Rayola as the offensive line coach? I just wrote that question down and just about the only thing I could come up with to answer that question was his nephew, Dylan Rayola who, of course, is the number one recruit in the class of 2024, superstar quarterback and the son of Dominic Raiola, a Husker legend. But th- that was it. That was kind of the only the only thing I could honestly come up with in terms of like the compelling, prevailing reason to retain Donovan Raiola. Now, to, let me go off on a tangent for a second. Sure, I could come up with a bunch of reasons that this past year's offensive line performance, you, it, it's hard to peg it all on Rayola. I, I I think we all can have a reasonably have that conversation. Like years of issues in that program under Scott Frost finally caught up to them. Uh, it sounds like strength and conditioning had some shortcomings. There were major injuries and departures and suspensions to top guys on that offensive line. First of all, Cam Jurgens leaves for early for the NFL. Nuelli, uh, who was going to start, failed a drug test, suspended all year. Teddy Prohaska gets hurt a few games in. Uh, so personnel was was a problem, your top-shelf personnel, not to mention offensive coordinator Mark Whipple maybe didn't quite fit with what Raiola was maybe suited to do. You know, Whip wants to air that thing out. I don't know if that's how Raiola really wants to coach his O-line. All those things to me are totally legitimate reasons or excuses to, to maybe excuse Raiola and not peg everything with the offensive line on him. But bottom line, 
His offensive line unit stunk this last year. This was as bad of an offensive line Nebraska's ever had. Whether it's on him or not, I don't know. He's the coach. It was not good. But again, he was inexperienced. He has just one year under his belt as the offensive line coach in college. He's got no connections to Matt Rule. It, it just it made no sense to me when Rule was keeping Raiola. Especially after Matt Rule's press conference where he basically professed his burning desire to build this program through the trenches. Right? That's That was a big part of what Matt Rule talked about in his press conference. And I figured Rule would go out and hire a rock star, proven, experienced offensive line coach. But instead, he retained Donovan Raiola. So it was very surprising. So to now circle back to the question that I wrote in my iPhone notes. What is the compelling, prevailing reason to keep Rayola? And the only thing I can come up with was, hey, number one quarterback recruit, number one recruit in the class of 2024, Dylan Rayola. That was it. Now, a couple of things. At the time when I was thinking that and wrote that down, I thought it was kind of silly. I'm like, okay, really, Dylan Raiola? That you're you're maybe going to retain him just because of that? I thought it was silly because a Dylan Raiola was committed to to Ohio State, and b I thought, man, is hiring an offensive line coach who doesn't have a lot of beef to his resume as a coach? where there are better offensive line coaches out there that you could go get, knowing you're in a trenches league like the Big Ten and knowing how vitally important the offensive line success is to your program's success, is it really worth hiring an offensive line coach because that maybe could possibly lead to having a better chance at landing the number one recruit, the number one quarterback in the class of 2024? Again, at the time, I thought, no, absolutely not. Jeez, what are we talking about? But about a week after the news hit, 10 days or so after the news hit, the news broke that Raiola was being retained. All of a sudden, over the weekend on, I, I don't know if it was late Friday or if it was Saturday, I think it was Saturday, December 17th, the news hits, Dylan Raiola has decommitted from Ohio State. Which, by the way, led to a Matt Rule tweet with that Undertaker gif of him. You know, he's laying, he looks like he's dead, and he pops back up. And his eyes are open. So you, Dylan Raiola, Donovan Raiola retained. Dylan Raiola decommits from Ohio State. Matt Rule tweets that Undertaker gif. And much like all of Husker Nation, I immediately went, whoa, ho, 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 whoa. Is... Is Dylan Raiola going to end up being a Husker? And you kind of go, okay, maybe it all adds up now. Did Rule keep Tenafine Raiola as the offensive line coach because he knew that would potentially lead him to landing his nephew, Dylan Raiola? Again, I feel wildly silly even saying this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. But the reality is the decision to keep Donovan Rayola as the offensive line coach was so baffling that this is the only thing about it that could kind of make sense to me.
So I'm going to keep on saying this. We don't know exactly what's going to unfold. Dude may go to USC for all we know, Bama for all we know. I mean, real, he's the number one, he's five-star, number one recruit in the country. Guy can go anywhere he wants, right? I don't know where this is going to unfold, but again, there's so many things with this, so many dots you could kind of connect them, make you go, hmm, okay. Dylan Raiola commits to Ohio State in May. Again, number one quarterback in the class of 2024. Makes sense for him to go to Ohio State, not to mention Ohio State's kind of become like wide receiver you, like if best wide receivers are potentially at Ohio State over the last handful of years. But Rayola's then is a solid commit for seven months. Now, I admit that I'm not a recruiting buff, but I hadn't heard any rumblings that he wasn't solid on Ohio State or anything like that. But then Scott Frost gets fired. Matt Rule gets hired. Donovan Raiola shockingly gets retained as the offensive line coach after a subpar season. And Rule doesn't have, you know, he doesn't retain any other staff member other than Raiola. Then just about seven or 10 days later, Dylan Raiola decommits from Ohio State. Hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a lot in there that's pretty like, pretty compelling and there's a lot in there that would kind of point towards like a conclusion that like okay does Nebraska got a shot at Dylan Rayola now which would just be incredible on so many levels I still I'm like I can't even I I'm telling you I as I was writing this up I wasn't even sure I'm like come on this is irresponsible you're gonna actually spend time on this on a pod come on man like I I hate that I'm dedicating a podcast to something that is pure speculation and a what if with Nebraska football and it's not even something that would happen next year on the field but man this is fascinating this is fascinating to me this is so fascinating that might be like hotel drunk and crazy here where I'm just too too much time in airports and on the road where I don't know I'm not even thinking straight but this is this is interesting a couple of things I was thinking about with this this whole situation that I'm that I'm laying out here just a couple kind of rapid fire thoughts you know when you're rebuilding a program like Matt Rule is when you are rebuilding a program you need that program changing player someone who truly flips it on the field Someone who becomes the face and the driving force behind it all. And you know what's kind of nice is when that guy is a quarterback. Maybe the number one quarterback recruit in the country is that guy. The other thing I was thinking about, the vast majority of coaches who fail in their coaching tenure when taking over a program you know what one of the there's a lot of common denominators and it's you know it's every no two situations are exactly the same but you know what one of the common denominators is they just never get the quarterback right just never get the quarterback right the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza you know there are a lot of ways to to greet someone hey hi hello what's up another way is what's popping well here's the thing that greeting has taken on a new meaning now because the answer to what's popping is now Runza's new popcorn chicken. That's what's popping. Runza's new popcorn chicken is amazing. Little bite-sized, delicious, all-white meat chicken that make any 
day better immediately. I love them. My wife loves them. My kids cannot get enough. Two-year-old Mac, six-year-old Mava are constantly wanting to get it popping. Great for a snack. Great for a meal. Pair them with the best crinkle fries on planet Earth, and you are set. All I got to say is you need to get out to a Runza location nearest you and get it popping. What's so hard to understand about that? Get it popping with Runza's all-new popcorn chicken. Runza makes it all better. And, you know, we're talking about college. You can even expand that to the NFL. If you go to the the NFL coaching graveyard, you're going to see on a lot of these coaches' tombstones didn't get the quarterback right. And keep this in mind, Matt Rule just got fired from the NFL, Carolina Panthers. What was the prevailing reason, in my opinion, he probably got fired? He didn't have a quarterback. He didn't have a quarterback. Now, I know NFL, college can be a little different, but quarterback is quarterback and football is football. And there is a inordinate amount of importance on your quarterback play. But Rule just probably lost a job because he, you know, that quarterback situation wasn't quite right. So that is fresh on Rule's mind. Naturally, landing the number one quarterback recruit in the country would answer a lot of that. And lastly, few things will jumpstart recruiting for a new program. More than a great quarterback. And having the number one recruit, a quarterback, coming to your school, that is an enormous advantage in the recruiting world. Because great players want to play with other great players. Great players want to win. And having a five-star, number one quarterback, number one recruit in the country coming to your school greatly increases your chances of landing other great players and winning. Maybe... Dylan Royal is that guy. Elite wide receivers, elite running backs, elite players on really on both sides of the ball understand that, you know, playing with number one quarterback recruit in the country, probably not a bad idea. It's funny, you know, just like the last handful of years, here's some of the number one quarterback recruits in the country. There's Quinn Ewers, kind of a weird situation with you know, NIL world, all that stuff. But Bryce Young, he's pretty good. Trevor Lawrence, he's pretty good. Justin Fields, he's pretty good. Tua Tunga Viola, he's pretty good. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of, you know, Jacob Eason, Josh Rosen, Shea Patterson's on those lists too as you go back. But like, there's also some 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 Trevor Lawrence, some Bryce Young, some Tua. And it's pretty good. Think of it this way. Let me give you an analogy. You guys know I love my stupid analogies. You know, you can have a good director for a movie. Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese, whoever, right? You can have a good director. But nothing's going to boost a movie as you're constructing it, getting it off the ground, getting ready to have it be shot and filmed. Nothing is going to boost the movie more than landing an A-list, true great movie star to your movie. You can have Steven Spielberg, that's going to get people really excited. Other actors, networks, all those things. But when you get Tom Hanks to commit to the movie, that changes everything. Now, other actors are like, oh, okay, hold on. Tom Hanks, he's, he's, 
he's in. Okay, let me see that script. That you, you want me for what role? I'm in. Hanks is in. I'm in. You land Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington. That is a game changer for a movie on a variety of levels. Don't get me wrong. Director still has to be on point. The script has to be good. The plot has to be good. But the reality is the leading role being a super movie star changes the trajectory of a movie's success. Castaway isn't Castaway without Hanks. Training day isn't Training Day without Denzel. Or even think of it this way. Catch me if you can. One of my, you know, kind of like a off the radar favorite movie of, of Nick Ball's. Catch me if you can. Not sure which came first here, but I guarantee you landing Leonardo DiCaprio as the lead actor helped land Tom's Han- Tom Hanks as a supporting actor. Guarantee you. Once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, DiCaprio's in it. Brad Pitt's like, cool, I'm in it. Same school of thought can be true in sports. You land a five-star, number one recruit, number one quarterback in the country. The cast of potential players you can land on your roster completely changes, in my opinion. So when you lay all of that out and you think about it in that way, Maybe it is worth keeping Donovan Raiola if it gets you Dylan Raiola. That may be true. Maybe this was rules playing all along. He knew, I got to find a way to land Denzel Washington. The way I land Denzel Washington is through Donovan Raiola. Or I, I got to get Hanks to be the lead guy here. If that means I got to hire Donovan Raiola to entice Hanks. Now, I mean, again, I feel like I don't even know if I'm going to want to send this to my people at Herdat to post it because I feel silly even writing this and saying this and posting this podcast because who the hell knows what's going to happen. By the time this hits, Dylan Rowell, he might commit somewhere else. There might be some other stuff that happens. I don't know. But let's just get crazy here on Sunday, December 18th here in the afternoon. Who the hell, who the hell knows what's going to happen? But there's just a lot of, a lot of dots to, that connect here. But, man, I was just so shocked when Rule retained Raiola, Donovan Raiola, that the only logical conclusion I could come up with as to why Rule did that was maybe this gives him a chance to land Dylan Raiola. Well, about a week later, Dylan Raiola decommits from Ohio State, which is pretty eyebrow-raising to say the least. We'll see what happens, but oh, boy. Oh, boy. Very interesting. All right, this concludes my irresponsible Husker take of the week. Maybe that'll be sponsored. I'll get that sponsored. Nick's irresponsible Husker take of the week. Just speculate, rumors, fill it, filling in, connecting dots to to make an entertaining segment. That'll be what I do. God, I mean, am I going to post this? Do you guys, is it, I feel stupid even talking about that. I mean, obviously, it's what everybody's talking about, but... I don't know. Feels silly even throwing it out there, but what the hell? I know that's what you're thinking about. It's what I was thinking about. All right, let me shift to Creighton. I mean, Jesus, I don't, how, I don't know how many Creighton is struggling pods I can do. I've done three in a row because the losing streak is up to six in a row for Creighton. Creighton has lost six straight. 
after what was their worst loss to me of the year, really getting getting beat soundly for most of the game by Marquette 69-58. I don't know. Maybe the Nebraska loss was worse. Nebraska loss is probably worse. I mean, I think Marquette's better than Nebraska. Nebraska's your rival. You're at home. That's probably a worse loss. But I thought just, I, I man, home op- or uh, conference opener, Marquette just, I, I just thought that Creighton got beat pretty soundly for the vast majority of that game. And I have a handful of, th- uh, of, of takes with Creighton right now. You know, listen, I can get into the nitty-gritty of the, I, I don't know, you don't want me to re- recap the Marquette game. But I got some broader things I want to get. The the first thing I was thinking about was, you know, sometimes the difference between a good and a great season or a good and a bad season is A, smaller than you think, B, about momentum early in the year, and C, how do you fare in close games? How good are you in close games? What's your record in close games? That can kind of shape the season. That can kind of shape everything. Like I told you in, in, on my last part, I keep on thinking about last year because there's a lot of returning guys from last year. But I keep on thinking about last year for Creighton. Think about this. So Creighton last year, in games decided by seven points or less, Creighton played in 16 games last year that were decided by seven points or less. Creighton's record was 10-6 and six in those games. It's pretty good. But let's dig deeper. First of all, two of those six losses by seven points or less last year were to Villanova in the Big East Tournament Championship game at Madison Square Garden, and to Kansas in the second round of the NCAA Tournament. So two of the six losses were to two Final Four teams, and one of them was the eventual national champ. But the more interesting thing is this. So again, Creighton last year played in 16 games decided by seven points or less. In the first 12 games that were decided by seven points or less last season. Creighton went nine and three. Think about that. Creighton last year, at one point, they were nine and three in games decided by seven points or less. Those games, by the way, were Kennesaw State, they won 51 44. Southern Illinois won 66-64. It's a last-second shot by Nemhard. SIU Edwardsville, where they had to rally all of the second half, they won 70-65. Iowa State at home, they lost 64-58. Arizona State at home, they lost 58-57. Then conference play came around. At Marquette, won in double overtime, 75-69. At Xavier, lost 80-73. And then at UConn, 159-55. Butler at home, 154-52. Marquette at home, 183-82. At St. John's, 181-78. UConn at home, 164-62. That's 12 games that could have gone either way. And Creighton 
won nine of them. Not not to mention two games where Creighton trailed at halftime and won. How about Arkansas Pine Bluff? First game of the year. Trailed 47-38 at half. Trailed 53-40 to with 18 minutes left in the second half. Rallied and won. How about DePaul at home? That was the, the game that Greg McDermott had COVID and was not on the sidelines. He was, he was tweeting about it from his couch, and Al Huss was the coach. How about DePaul in Omaha? Creighton trailed 32-23 at half. Trailed 36-26 with 17 minutes left in the second half. Rallied one. So really, it's basically 14 games that could have gone either way, and Creighton found a way to win 11 of them. But to stick with the seven points or less thing for consistency's sake, in the first 12 games of the season that were decided by seven points or less, Creighton went nine and three. Let's be honest, that shaped the season. That created confidence. It shaped the year. If that if that number is flipped and they go three and nine, or hell, even six, they go six and six, the whole season could have been different. But Creighton was surprisingly good in those games with such a young and inexperienced team. They won those close games. It got them confident. It got them believing. It gave them a chance to be playing meaningful games late in the year. Again, it shaped the season. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Okay, you contrast that with this year. 12 games in, Creighton is 1-4 and four in close games. They beat Arkansas and Maui 90-87, then lost to Arizona 81-79, lost to Texas 72-67, lost to BYU 83-80, lost to Arizona State 73-71. All those games could have gone either way. Creighton lost four of five close ones so far. And again, oftentimes that can shape your season and it can build or really hurt your collective confidence. Right now, it's shaping the season to the bad. And it feels like there is a crisis of confidence building with that team. I just wanted to point that out. 
Sometimes the difference between a good and a shaky season can be shaped in those close games, especially early on. It can be shaped in those close games and how, if you're on the right side of them, you find a way to win them, it can propel you in the right direction. And if you're on the wrong side of them, you're on the losing side of them, it can send you in the wrong direction. So that was the other thing I was thinking about. The other thing. So, again, I'm on the road. I'm, I'm on, on Friday night, I get to Indianapolis. I, I get some food, and I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm going to watch. Uh, I was going to watch the doubleheader of, of I watched Georgetown Xavier, and then I watched Creighton Marquette. And I'm sitting in my hotel room in Indianapolis watching that Creighton Marquette game. And there, man, a lot of concerning things with that game. But one of the things that really stands out right now and, and is concerning is Creighton doesn't even look like Creighton to me right now. Meaning, Creighton usually plays hard, plays with great effort. Creighton usually shares the ball, moves the ball, plays with great purpose on offense, cuts hard, screens hard, spaces the floor, is a good passing team. Usually offensively, they are really fun and pretty to watch. And they're usually a team that just plays with relentless, great pace offensively in the open floor. I'll be honest, I don't see a lot of that right now. Specifically, the ball movement and pace. I don't want to delve too far into the effort thing because that can be subjective, and while playing harder can solve some things, I want to focus on on the other two things. Ball movement and pace. You know, you, you you hear the word identity a lot in sports, forming an identity, recruiting an I, to an identity, all that. And one of the, one of the great things I've always felt like is is true about having an identity is it gives you something to lean on when you hit a rough patch. It gives you a foundation. That's really what a, an identity can be. That's a part of it. It is your foundation to everything you do, who you are as a program and how you play. When you hit a little adversity, when you hit a little turbulence, your identity can sustain you. Your identity can be the foundation you lean on. So where people get into trouble and programs and teams get into trouble is when they don't have an identity and you hit a little turbulence and you got nothing to lean on. Or the other thing that gets you in trouble is when when teams or programs or coaches or players or whatever, when, when they hit a rough patch and they, they, they try to recreate who they are and stray away from their identity. I gotta be okay. We gotta be different. We gotta be different. That can also get people into trouble. I've just always felt like when and this is this is Dana Altman, man. This is I will say this is where like playing for Dana Altman. This is like fucking got me. Like this is who who what he believes, who he is. Like when you're struggling, you hit a little adversity. Keep it simple. Simplify. Go back to your identity. 
keep it simple, and who the f- who are we? Right? That's that's Dane Altman. Everybody thinks it's funny. Like, I always laugh. You know, Rothstein, John Rothstein's got those, like, little Mick Cronin, more consistent than any, you know, a few good men on a rainy Sunday, all this stuff. You know, like, for Dane Altman, it's like Dane Altman, he aligns Rubik's Cubes. John, Rossi, like, I, if you know Dane Altman, that couldn't be further from the truth. Dane Altman is just, he, that dude is a simple, hard-nosed dude. And I know that's not a fun little catchphrase that Rothstein could tweet. But I think that Dana has this, like, some people look at him and they think, like, he's this super sophisticated, not like, Dane Altman's painfully simple. But simple wins when it's your identity. When you're struggling, you hit a little rough patch, simplify, go back to who you are. Sure, Creighton needs Ryan Kalkbrenner back. And they, they got to start shooting it better. And they need just individual players got to play better. And the bench has to be better. But I think they need to get back to their identity and being great at that. The ball movement on offense has to get back to the Creighton way of playing. And the pace at which they are pushing it all the time has to get back up. Like some of the some of their they got a couple of fast break layups and dunks in the first half. Some of that stuff was cherry picking and just shitty transition defense from Marquette. That wasn't like Creighton and their usual just like relentless running, all that stuff. I just know when when a lot of people think of Creighton's identity, oftentimes we think of threes. That's one of the things we think of. But you know, they think of pace and and threes. So obviously you think about pace, but to me a big one is ball movement and player movement. Half-court offense playing the right way. Creighton in that Marquette game, in that Arizona State game, at times in that BYU game, just Creighton has gotten stagnant at times. The ball has gotten sticky at times. Lots of standing around, not a lot of ball reversals, not getting to the first side to the second side to the third side, getting a piece of the paint, spraying it out, extra pass, drive, kick, spray it. Like, letting them hard pounding it, trying to get everything organized, and, and then they get it to Kaluma, and Kaluma then backs the guy down, and they get to Shire. Like, Shireman drives in there, jump stops, pivots 50 times, tries to spray it out. Like, move it. Move the ball, move your body. Lots of standing around, not a lot of ball reversals. Not a lot of good hard cuts. It's just odd to see. Because that's not Creighton. That's not their identity. Yes, got to get Kalkbrenner back and healthy. And yes, Creighton has to find a little bit more teeth to everything they're doing. That's also Dana Altman. Like, I mean, when shit hit the fan, Dana keeps it simple. And Dana Dana puts brass knuckles on. Like, (laughs) that's how it goes with Dana. Same thing with Bill Self. I was, I mean, man, I, never mind. Those two guys, man, you hit a rough patch, your practice is going to be a fucking war. See, there is an element, you got to find some more teeth to everything you're doing. How bad do you fucking want it? Shireman, Trey, Alexander, Kaluma, Nemhart, like, how bad do you guys want this? Y'all look a little, a little like, you're on your heels a little bit, little just little little eye like wide eyed right now. Like, how bad do you want this? But 
beyond all that, that, you know, get a little look about you, get some teeth to you, all that stuff. Like, I also think in basketball, when you get, when you, you, your backs get, you get pushed up against a wall, you fight it and you get out of the hole doing it together offensively. Now, some of these teams are, are by design, like they're trying to make Creighton a one-on-one team. That's how, like that's the the book on Creighton. You just you try to you don't help on penetration. You try to make because they are a ball movement team. So some of the stuff's by design, but you can't let a team just take you out of who you are. But I've, when when you get into a hole, basketball, you do it. To, you get out of it together, using each other, sharing the ball, moving, screening, all those things. Like, really go put a body on somebody. Kaluma, Shireman, Fred can't Like, go fucking rock someone on a screen. When you're cutting, cut hard. Maybe you drag a help guy with you because he cuts so hard. You, then all of a sudden, that opens up a, a swing. Like, move the ball. I've just... I've always felt like you hit a wall, you do it together offensively, and I've also always felt like a great place to find offensive rhythm is in the open floor. Ryan Nemhard, you're so fast with the ball. Push it and run. Baylor Shireman, you're such a good transition passer. Push it and run. Arthur Kaluma, you're so athletic in the open floor. Run and attack. Trey Alexander, you can make plays in the open floor. Run. Get back to running and pushing the pace. Now, I get it. you got to be able to allow defensive rebounds. You can't run until you get a rebound. I get all that stuff, right? I can't go over everything that needs to happen for different things to go on. But I'm talking about your identity. Get back to running and pushing the pace. And when you get in the half court, share the ball, move the ball, move your body. Quit letting it stick. Quit being stagnant. No half-ass cuts. No whiffing a screen. Again, it's just, it's bizarre how Creighton just, they haven't looked like Creighton. They didn't look like Creighton right now. And that's not just because they aren't shooting it well or not winning that's ball of movement. That's the whole offensive look. Not playing with with enough pace to me. Because man, I, I just always marvel at the ball movement and the way Greg McDermott's teams usually run offense in the half court. The way they share it, they space it, the way they cut, they move it, they swing it, they are unselfish like that. That just hasn't been there. So again, when tough times hit, simplify and lean on your identity. Your identity. At Creighton is great pace and ball movement. Get back to it. Final final Creighton thought here as we wrap it up. Huge three-game stretch now for Creighton. Finally get to be home for a few weeks. I talked about it in that la- in my last pod. Unbelievable with the schedule, how it's how it's done Creighton just no favors. No favors. Where the Creighton has from November 17th to December 22nd, Creighton played one home game. It was the Nebraska game. They've just been on the road way too much for way too long. Scheduling was just not good. But now Creighton gets to be home for a three-game stretch. Butler, DePaul, Seton Hall. Those are the next three opponents all coming to Omaha. Those are all three teams. They're not at the top of the Big East. 
They're all quote-unquote, I guess you could call them winnable games. I hate to call anything a must-win in December, but this is as close to must-wins as you're going to get. Creighton has to turn this thing around and do it fast. Six and six, lost six in a row. Three-game homestand. You're finally going to be able to sleep in your own bed for a stretch here. You're finally going to be in front of your own fans in the CHI Health Center against Butler, DePaul, Seton Hall. Jays need to get right and get, get that confidence back up, get back on track, and we'll see if they can do it. Certainly getting Ryan Kalkbrenner would help, but I also think leaning on that identity would help too. We'll see what happens. A Heard at Sports Network production.